I want to show you my, my wizard staff. I know you have one that you're probably, you know, uh, stroking under the table, but here's the one that I, I, I made uh, for our, our session today. It's, it's, it's a, a staff of power and it, it represents, uh, you know, sovereignty and, and Bitcoin and freedom. It's, it's a, a big wrench that has some uh, open dimes hanging off of it and also it. Uh, a bunch of, of knives that I expertly, you know, in the fires of Mordor, attached to this wrench, uh, aka I taped them to the back, <laughs> and you know, this this is this is going to prevent people from from trying to steal my keys. So, mate, it's gonna. I thought I thought you were gonna turn that around. It's gonna be like expertly welded on, but I like I like the duct tape as well. Yeah, it works. It does. It does. Solid. I won't How? be stealing. I won't be trying to steal your keys. How mad was Saruman when you told him about Bitcoin? Like, did he try to kill you, or did he? Did you orange pill Saruman? No, no, no. Have you have you guys not seen Fiat at Fiat Saruman on Twitter? No. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's. He he roams about. What? He roams <laughs> this about. is a thing. Yeah, he he always replies to he. Well, he doesn't always reply to my tweets, but he often gets involved, especially if like. If there's a mention about Christine Lagarde or Janet Yellen, that's like his dream threesome to have Lagarde and Yellen at the same time. Oh, so, shit. yeah. So he he jumps in there when we talk about her or them, and I think I think like if you look at his follow list, he only follows like the Fed, the ECB, Janet Yellen, Christine Lagarde. That yeah. Just all smoke shows. I've yeah, I've now exactly. okay, we're we're gonna go down this rabbit hole because I think in the same way like if you say. The boogeyman's name enough time if we say fiat saruman i think he will appear um but like let, let's talk about these this dream threesome you could pick janet wait, 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 wait. before we do that first let's let's introduce our esteemed guest to the audience um gandalf can you tell the people who are clamoring to know who you are what you're about and what your relationship to bitcoin is yeah sure so uh I'm kind of here by accident, actually. Uh, I used to own a, well, I still do own a business um, that I'm transitioning out of. And in that period of transition, uh, I managed to just to get some downtime and I was listening to podcasts and I accidentally, somebody slipped me, the, one of the podcasts accidentally slipped me the orange pill and I had a bunch of free time on my hands. Uh, so I just kind of went down, down the rabbit hole, made this account and you know, a year and a half later, here we are. All right. I, I got to ask though, like, I'm like, I'm, I'm a Legolas guy personally. So why, <laughs> why Gandalf? I just, I think like, I, Legolas, dude, if you didn't think that Legolas grabbing the Urukai's shield, sliding down the stairwell at Helm's Deep and just <laughs> was the most badass scene in Lord of the Rings. Like you just have no style sense of flavor. No, I just, I mean, everyone reveres Gandalf, right? When he, when he, he's like, he's the savior. He's the most powerful person in the whole of Middle Earth. It, well, that's the sense I got. You think Gandalf is more powerful than Sauron? Like if Gandalf was more powerful than Sauron, he would have just walked into Middle Earth. Well, I mean, like the whole thing doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Well, the, the, the you story, know the, you I know mean, the whole thing that you, the, 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 piece of advice that you tried to give Frodo before you got sent down to fight the demon in fellowship. Uh, I lit, I literally just watched 
all three of the extended edition movies with my wife because she'd never seen Lord of the Rings. And I, <sighs> and I, ca I can't remember what I said to Frodo. <laughs> he, you said it was out of your mouth. You said, fly, you fools. And then you let uh, go and Oh, oh I thought you meant, yeah, no, of course I know. I, I thought you meant like before we went in the cave. Yeah, yeah, of course I know. Fly, no. fly you fools, of it's course. It's like, like no one was listening. No one was listening. They literally went the longest, hardest way possible. They didn't know what they were um, doing. So other than, you know, convincing them all to fly, like how would you have taken Frodo to Mordor? Yeah, I... I... I probably would have ridden on the back of the Nazgul because, you know, I, I could, I could do that. So I, pr Ooh. I probably would have just ridden in, ridden into more, well, ridden, I guess you can ride him. Yeah. You ride a Nazgul, ride, ride on the back of a Nazgul, falls out, BD, BD energy. So let me ask you this. What do you think would be more powerful for Gandalf to possess over 50% of the network hash rate or the ring of power? Definitely over 50% of the network hash rate. And what would Gandalf do with over 50% of the network hash rate? Uh, divvy it amongst the plagues, the plebs. I feel this. We've got to decentralize it. No, you, you remember that Gandalf never wants to, he could have taken the ring, but he never wants to because he knows that it's too much responsibility for one person. So I feel like it would be the same thing with 51% of the hash rate. I completely agree. I think. Yeah. I think if he could resist the power of the ring, he would absolutely be able to resist the power of, you know, 51% of the hash rate. Yeah. Plus, I mean, even if you have 51% of the hash rate, there's not really any incentive to attack the network. Uh, you still, you're still just incentivized to be, a, you know, uh, well, I guess like economically, rationally, you'd, you wouldn't, you'd be incentivized just to act normally instead of trying to attack Bitcoin because you have 51% of the hash rate. So presumably you have a lot of Bitcoin. Or you can have a lot of Bitcoin. Yeah. I like how you're speaking yeah. about yourself in the third person. As someone <laughs> who, who controls 51% of the hash rate. Um, I'm curious. I, I have another question. I'm stealing <laughs> this I'm stealing this from Canadian Bitcoiners, but I, I'm making it a question, but I loved your comment. Um, which shitcoiner is Gollum, and why is it Richard Hart? Is Richard Hart Gollum? He's, I think he's, he's an, he's unimaginable. No, he's worse than Gollum. He's something that we can't, he's, he's like, he's such a slime ball that we couldn't possibly come up with a character that to, to, to sort of represent him. Yeah. He Gollum is the is epitome too... of slime. So it's just, he's, he can't, you, you can't make up, a, you, you can't make up a personality like that. So I, I have to be very careful saying his name. So I'm just going to say CSW and then let's never say those three letters again. But A, fun fact, thank you to Alex McShane for pointing this out. But I guess that man that I just mentioned with three letters is on LinkedIn. You can access his profile where he lists himself as the founder of Bitcoin. But because it's LinkedIn, you can also report people for misinformation. So I highly <laughs> recommend everyone go on LinkedIn tonight. Go look up this man and report him for misinterpreting facts about who founded Bitcoin. <clears throat> but you, but um, it, we, we did this on Twitter already because he just he he's back. I think he's back on Twitter or he, you mm -hmm. know, he has an account that he doesn't use uh, that like his staff run for him. And I think I can't remember what he tweet. I think he has like inventor of Bitcoin on his bio or whatever. 
and uh, we had a little campaign where we were reporting him, but I don't, I don't think he got banned, sadly. Mm. All right. Well, I'm late to the party as usual, and I'm going to start the campaign on LinkedIn because that's where no one is, and that's the type of stuff I tend to do. Let's go. Did you <laughs> see that? What? Um, I don't know if you guys saw one time we tried to start like uh, we made all over ever a bunch of people started making their names on LinkedIn. So like I put I put Gandalf's head on like a oh, guy shit. with a suit and put that as my display photo and had a Bitcoin Gandalf uh, like profile, and then like they ordered they just ban you because you're not a real person. Yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah. It hurt my feelings because okay. I am a real person, but. Yeah, I mean, the, much like my outfit today, I think yours inspires confidence. It communicates authority. Someone should be, should be taken seriously. Um, I want to shift over to your experience of the Oslo Freedom Forum. Mm. Uh, what was your, what do you think was the most impactful segment or panel that you saw while you were there you did a you you wrote up a uh, sort of like high level summary of each day which i um i really liked how how you talked about it but what, what was your what were some of your highlights oh man um i think the one that hit me the hardest was uh so on day day three was like the the day three in the afternoon was when we went to another sort of venue and it was mostly just bitcoin stuff um, much smaller, so less people, mostly Bitcoiners, but a few people who were there, uh, you know, for the human rights freedom side and didn't know much about Bitcoin. Um, and there was this woman who stood up and I can't remember. If she was from a, uh, I believe she was from a Latin American country. I can't remember the country. Um, but yes, basically it was like a Q and A se uh, uh, section after uh, Rockstar Dev spoke about BTC pay server. And, and use it setting that up so people can receive donations, like activists can receive donations of Bitcoin. This woman put her hand up and she's like, can I have three minutes of your time? And I was, you know, I think at first everyone was like, oh, she's gonna like, I don't know, try, you know, she's she'll gonna like talk about, yeah, or she, I don't know, she'll like her cause or like something, right? She got up and it turns out that whatever country she was from, um, I don't wanna try to guess cause I don't wanna get it wrong, but it was, yeah, it was, it was a Spanish speaking Latin American country. Basically, uh, um, uh, people who were running for president there, so presidential candidates had 10 presidential candidates had all been arrested by like the uh, existing president. Holy and, shit. And then it turns out one of them was her husband. So that was like pretty insane to have, because it, it was like a, a smallish room, a hundred people. You know, when you're sitting there and it's like four, however many people are in the big auditorium, let's call it two, three, 4,000. People are talking about sort of like higher level stuff. Yeah. Um, but like to be so close physically to this woman who like was brave enough to say like, can, like, can I have three minutes of everyone's time? And she told us the story and she didn't, she wasn't even like help me get my husband out of jail. She's like trying to raise awareness for all 10 people who've been arrested in, but it must be horrible. Imagine like, I don't know if any of you guys are married or have girlfriends or whatever, but like, you know, imagine someone that close to you getting arrested for running for president of their country. Uh, that's, that's a lot to deal with. And then uh, I, th I thought she was amazing uh, just coming up and telling us the story and she wasn't shilling, like give me some money or whatever. And uh, I think we, I think somebody's going to set up for her to, um, to get PTC pay server put on her website so, so she can raise money uh, in Bitcoin, but that hit me hard. Cause yeah, I thought about my wife and I thought about like how, you know, imagine if 
I lived in a country and she ran, she was running for president and she got thrown in jail. What a, yeah, what a, what a crazy situation to be in. Wow. Yeah. And, and what was the context for, like, what was the, was she basically, you said she was just speaking to her experience and the challenges that she was facing and that, you know, people who were trying to embrace, you know, a democratic process were experiencing or how did it relate back to Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, she she was just really quick because uh, obviously she said like, and I have two or three minutes, so she didn't really shill or speak that much. But she just said like, I'm from a I'm from X country, uh, you know, my it, the the, uh, the sitting uh, president has arrested all the presidential candidates there, and one of them is my husband, uh, and yeah, and uh, then that's she was saying that she should we we got her website up um, where like. I can't, and again, I can't remember what the website is, but we can probably find it. Um, yeah, her website was about those people and trying to raise awareness and trying to get them out of prison, basically. Uh, and then we sort of talked to her about Bitcoin and somebody is setting her up with VTC pay, pay server on her website to raise funds. Because wow. I mean, like for her, for her to be going around, like if they're arresting her husband, they can easily arrest her. Can, I mean, I don't even know, can she go back to her home country and even like visit her? her husband probably not like if she's doing if she's going around raising awareness if she ever goes back to that country she's probably going straight to jail as well and yeah i mean and i think i think they were worried a lot of people are worried about raising funds like with fiat rails where it's paypal credit cards because they feel like they can trace back um so bitcoin serves a purpose for them in terms of being able to receive you know anonymous donations for, for all intents and purposes, like if people are using non-KYC Bitcoin, it's pretty much anonymous. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I think is really, you know, I think a lot of people that are in the United States and in parts of Europe don't appreciate is if someone can control your money, they can control almost every aspect of your life. And I know, you know, I'm sure this was a... a significant part of the, the uh, financial freedom track at, at Oslo. But I think it's, I, I find myself having to like remind people that like, hey, like you take for granted that the money that is in your bank account is yours, quote unquote. And that if you need it, you can use it. But um, as we, we're starting to see more and more in, you know, kind of Western free countries, that that is absolutely not the case. Uh, you know, I think the most recent example is probably the stuff that happened in Canada with the, you know, the, the Canadian truckers where basically the government was like, it is illegal to financially support these truckers because we say so. And that's super fucked up. And I think that more people in the Western world need to start understanding that that is coming for all of us. So it's important to be, to care about these stories not only because they're they're human they're human stories and we can relate to these people, but because this is going to affect all of us within our lifetimes, and we are all going to be experiencing those types of um, of financial risks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, and I couldn't agree with you more more on the fact that like ninety nine point nine percent of people don't understand that that that's the case, and it's becoming you know every day that goes by, every day that we get closer to a CBDC. Like that problem is, a, it's, it's close to being like a thousand X worse. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think it's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I think a lot of people, again, I'm biased, right? I, I, I'm in the United States. Um, I think a lot of people hear that type of story and their experience of it, or, or a lot of Bitcoiners, and their experience of it is, wow, that's, that's a terrible thing that happened to this person. Um, I feel empathy for them, but I'm not worried about my own security. And I think we need to shift that mindset, more of that mindset to like, you know, as all of us are, you know, very in favor of like, get your money, get your Bitcoin off of exchanges because that's just a keystroke away from not being yours anymore. You could be this person, not yeah. tomorrow, but maybe a week from now. Yeah. And, and I think we need, we need a, a Bitcoin circular economy to build up, uh, before CBDCs come in. Because uh, if we don't have that, how easy is it going to be for the government to say, sorry, you can't buy Bitcoin with CBDCs at all? Uh, so, yeah, uh, we need to be able to have a big, there needs to be a, a big enough marketplace of, of people who accept Bitcoin for goods and services uh, that that there's enough stuff for Bitcoiners to, to buy uh, without needing to interact with CBDCs. Having said that, like how much, you know, I, I often wonder like how much of a world needs to be onboarded so that we can avoid a catastrophe that, you know, we can't shield ourselves from just with Bitcoin. You know, if enough of the world doesn't onboard to Bitcoin, I don't think that it makes that much of a difference for Bitcoiners to have it because uh, we need to live in the sort of functioning society, right? We need to be part of a functioning society unless, you know, you get your citadel that's completely isolated from the rest of the world. But I just don't see that scenario playing out very well. Hmm. How do you make the distinction? And by the way, please, you know, Q, feel free to jump in here. Um, and also, you know, Gandalf, if, if there's other directions you want to take this conversation, please feel free to be like, hey, I want to talk about X, Y, and Z. Um, but I, I'm curious, we spoke with, you know, Caitlin Long yesterday and you know, she was talking a lot about, understandably, she's very focused on the, regula the regulations that are around Bitcoin and operating as a, you know, custodian and as a bank around Bitcoin. What is your perspective on, you know, people who hold, you know, Bitcoin being on exchanges, um, people not holding their own keys? How do you feel like that factors into this hyper-Bitcoinization uh, that we're all trying to achieve. Like, do you subscribe to the idea that like truly not your keys, not your coin? Obviously, we all know like if you don't have your keys, you just have an IOU. But do you think we should be encouraging people like stay away from you know cash apps, stay away from Strike because you don't even own your keys there? Or do you? What, what's the transition period? You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that I would prefer somebody to buy Bitcoin using cash app or strike uh than not buy any bitcoin and then not own any bitcoin but i would just use it as like literally buy move to cold storage or moves to somewhere where you hold the keys i wouldn't hold any substantial amount of bitcoin on any custodial services now i understand like some custodial services are just more convenient than the non-custodial so you know having a few hundred bucks here and there for spending on a custodial service is fine but just basically, I wouldn't keep any amount of Bitcoin that I would cry over losing on a custodial service. Like if I'm like, I look at this amount and I'm like, if this is gone, I would cry, then move it. 
if I lose this amount, it's like, oh, that would suck, but it's not like a crying situation, then it's fine. What is up, my Bitcoin plebs? Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, BitMEX. If you've been in the Bitcoin space for longer than a week, then you probably already know BitMEX as the OG crypto derivatives exchange and one of the biggest supporters of the Bitcoin space in the last decade. But what you might not know is that BitMEX is launching a brand new spawn exchange on the 17th of May to easily buy and sell Bitcoin and crypto. To celebrate, they're giving away $1 million in crypto to spot traders over the next few months, and they want you to be a part of it. The Bitcoin Magazine crew had the privilege of meeting their team a few months back, and they think that this is the start of something special for BitMEX and their users. Sign up at BitMEX.com today to catch a slice of the $1 million in crypto giveaway, and stay tuned to our podcast for future product offerings from their team. Again, don't miss out on the giveaway. Free sats are the best sats, so sign up today at BitMEX.com. Okay, so what else? What else? What are th- what's something that has caught your uh, your eye recently that you are thinking a lot about, whether because it excites you or because it makes you anxious, fearful? You you wake up in the middle of the night, you know, shaking, holding yourself in your glorious beard and wizard robe. I mean, nothing makes me like. I guess we can we can go down some like really dark paths in terms of talking about like, you know, government and what they can do if they control the money and fiat currencies and all that kind of stuff. But I guess maybe I'm, I'm like kind of in the same position as a lot of people where it's like, I re- well, I think I recognize those things are possible, but perhaps don't see them as like going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month. Um, I think they're going to be, I don't know when they're going to happen. I don't know. Like, you know, when a, I see them as like sort of COVID type situations where it's like one day everything just changes and it's a whole different world. I don't think it happens gradually, um, you know. So I don't have a, like a timeline for when these potentially terrible things happen and then I sit there worrying about it. I'm just aware that they're a possibility uh, and then try to do whatever I can to live my every day without feeling miserable. And, and then what I'm excited about right now is you coward. <laughs> what I'm excited about right now is, is, uh, is the tech. Uh, so I just quit one of my jobs, um, to learn to program. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm, that's why like I'm going into Linux. I'm learning command line. I'm learning web development. I just want to make some, I want to help make stuff to make Bitcoin more usable and better and to help more people understand Bitcoin. Uh, so basically just try to increase adoption. Oh, I fucking love it. That's something yeah. that's super, uh, I empathize strongly with. It's super important to me. I, I, uh, before I was, uh, wearing this robe and involved in the Bitcoin space, I was doing software engineering education. And I think, um, you know, before I, I became a software engineer myself and then later went into education, I, I've kind of, I've always been like really fixated on things that kind of increase my utility as a human. So like, got really interested in mechanical engineering and then like, you know, working in machine shops and, and electrical engineering, not from like a theoretical perspective, cause I don't know shit about that, but just from like a, how do I stick these two things together and make them do a thing that I want that somebody else hasn't thought of. And, uh, I think that software engineering is one of the highest leverage skills that 
we can you know teach and learn in this modern age and when you combine it with bitcoin holy fuck oh yeah shit starts to get real in the best possible way it's like the leverage of technology and the leverage of money of capital together it doesn't get much more levered than that in a good way yeah yeah i mean and 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 the 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 tools that are being developed now, you know, in, in software engineering, you know, it used to be the case that, you know, you had to learn, I mean, at the, at the extreme end, you had to learn like machine code assembly, right? And it took you, you know, hours and hours and hours if you were very skilled to implement like a simple calculator, right? And then, you know, there were these higher level languages that were built on top of, you know, assembly, and you had, you know, C++, and then, you know, you eventually have things that are like JavaScript, Ruby, Python, which basically, you know, again, they, they sort of like, it's almost like layer one, layer two, layer three, and they kind of simplify these, a lot of the, 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 the things that you would normally have to, you know, at the extreme end, literally write in, you know, ones and zeros, and that empowers people to be more creative, and it empowers more people who have really interesting ideas to, uh, to execute on them. And in the same way that we have seen that in the software engineering space, going from, you know, <laughs> machine code to, you know, abstractions like, you know, C++ to abstractions, further abstractions like Python, Ruby, JavaScript, which has created this and empowered this explosion of, you know, uh, new engineers who have really good ideas, but are, you know, able to implement them more effectively with these new systems. We're seeing the same thing in Bitcoin right now, right? You have, you know, the Bitcoin development kit, BDK, you have LDK, you know, um, those are spiral and, 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 and block initiatives. Uh, you have the work that, you know, we were just talking with, um, with Nifty Nay, Nifty Nay, uh, Lisa from Blockstream and the, the educational work that she's doing. And I'm so excited to see those types of um, abstraction layers be implemented in terms of the Bitcoin ecosystem because it allows, it not only allows people to learn how to build things within the Bitcoin ecosystem more rapidly and more effectively, um, that is to say people who don't necessarily have a software engineering background, right? When you have this thing that's like, I want to accept a payment and there's a module or there's a, there's a function that you can basically just call and do that, um, that becomes really powerful. But it, it also empowers other people to come into the Bitcoin space. There's a lot of software engineers who are like, oh man, I really want to sort of engage with Bitcoin, but I just don't even know what's possible. And when you when you create these um, these software development kits, which are just a set of functions and, and and specs that allow you to interact with it, you you open the door for just incredibly talented engineers who haven't even thought of Bitcoin as this life-changing technology, this sound money to suddenly just start playing around with it and being like, oh shit. And like orange pill themselves just because of what's possible from a, from a, a very nuts and bolts technical perspective, which I think is really exciting and very powerful. Yeah. Um, we need, I think we need more, uh, more devs working on stuff, uh, both experienced and it's great to see also people like making career switches and, wanting to learn programming so they can do stuff. I think a lot of people have this um, notion that you have to be a, like a techie to be, to work in Bitcoin is get involved in Bitcoin. But the truth is like, there's so much marketing media stuff and Bitcoin sales, ops, customer service stuff. So you don't, you don't have to be a techie. Um, but if you want to do, I guess like media is, is there's, it's a good, you get a good amount of leverage with media, right? You can have a show like this, where it's like us talking, but then, you know, potentially thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people could watch it. Um, 
uh, and then you have obviously tech where you can make something once and have a million users or 5 million users or hundred million users or whatever. The sky's the limit really, uh, just depending on the, uh, on the market need and like how good your product or service and, or your media is. Those are the, like the two things that I look at in terms of, of lever, uh, I just kind of like, I, I, I was more attracted to, I've been doing a little bit of media and stuff. And obviously like Twitter is a lot of media, um, but I'm just kind of attracted to like, uh, Twitter and media can feel a little bit like a hamster wheel if you're not doing evergreen content. I mean, I'm sure you guys are beasts at making content. I don't know how you do it, but like, you know, you have to like put out stuff, every, especially if you're doing news, like it's every day, every day you have to be keeping up with what's going on. Whereas I feel like with um, uh, software engineering, you like it. It just lends itself to a little bit of like deeper thinking, uh, like slightly slower progress. Because uh, depending on what you're making, like you have to sit there for hours and hours figuring out a problem or figuring out how to make something work. Uh, and then once you do, like it's there, it works forever, assuming nothing like updates and changes and breaks. Uh, whereas like media, like I said, unless you're making something evergreen, that's going to last, like it's going to be relevant for 10 years, which is really hard to do in media, right? It's really hard to make something evergreen. That's why there's only like one Bitcoin standard and like other such things. Um, yeah, I felt like media was a, was a hamster wheel of like, you have to keep going, you have to keep going, you have to keep going. What you did yesterday, like, especially with news, yesterday's news, nobody's going to like watch a news show from a week ago kind of thing. Like, so you have to keep making stuff. Gandalf, I had news shots at us because we were talking about yesterday's news again today before you joined. Oh, uh, wait, I know. I, I, I was, I, I was, I'm just busting. <laughs> but I, uh, I was, I was desperately trying to fix my internet. So I didn't, I didn't catch the, the, uh, beginning part of the show. I will say as you know, a news program that goes every day or at least five days out of the seven of a week especially in a bear market, it seems like the news is just slowed down. Yeah. And so it, it can be, I think trying at times to say the least to like keep the excitement and, and engagement because while we're in this bear market, this is that moment of capitulation for those who don't have the conviction to stick it out. This is the moment where those who are curious enough have now more time to dive down the rabbit holes and educate themselves on all the different aspects you bring up a very, very great point for someone like me, who is like the least technically savvy person, quite possibly in the Bitcoin space, who has to like have Zoom explained to me as though I'm like a 60 year old boomer. And yet like there is a space for everyone in Bitcoin. Like if you just wanna work in recruiting, well guess what? Bitcoin companies are trying to hire great talent and they need recruiters to go find that talent. You have no technical background or understanding. You're a salesperson. Well, guess what? There's sales all across the board, across this entire industry within each and every single company, whether you're selling to businesses, whether you're selling to individual customers or whether you're selling to like mainstream media, like there's sales is always a component of this. So we don't need to go down this, but I want to use what you said and just remind everyone that do not be intimidated by the massive amounts of technology and the technological conversations that happen in this space. Like there is room for everyone in Bitcoin, depending on what you do. They're artists, just pure artists who all they do is draw Bitcoin art or graphic designers and create designs. 
but they work within the realm of Bitcoin because they believe in this technology and what it can do. Yeah. I mean, the people who are creative are, I mean, I think every job has an aspect of creativity, but particularly like designers, writers, people who do podcasts, I think software engineers have to be quite creative. Like I'm in awe of, of, uh, of those kind of skills. I'm curious on the topic of education after attending Oslo and some of the conversations you had there, what were some things people were asking for that maybe surprised you? They were like, Oh, interesting. Like, yeah, we should be doing more of this type of stuff to help people like you. I'm going to disappoint you, Q. I pretty much only spoke to Bitcoiners. And one of the things I was about to bring up uh, is like what would the, what the Oslo Freedom Forum made me realize is that I think we can like preach to the choir all day long. Like we can all sit here and like talk about Bitcoin. You're a Bitcoiner. I'm a Bitcoiner. We're all Bitcoiners. We all love Bitcoin. And we like beat the bush to death about Bitcoin, but it doesn't add that much value like other than it's just, like it's a pleasurable conversation because we enjoy Bitcoin. Like I feel like something like the Oslo Freedom Forum was great because there was a lot of opportunities, obviously not for me, uh, but uh, for for Bitcoiners to have conversations with people who aren't familiar with Bitcoin, but for whom Bitcoin could be a very powerful tool. Uh, and like most of the people at the Oslo Freedom Forum were not Bitcoiners. Like they were people who probably like think the, what the mainstream media tells them about Bitcoin. And I wonder like what, what we can do to reach outside of our echo chamber uh, and speak to more like normies or however you want to call them. No, no coiners. Right. No, you're not wrong. I mean, I mean, do you guys know the audience? Like what's the audience for this, for like Bitcoin magazine news? Do you reckon it's mostly Bitcoiners or is it like, yes. Yeah, it's mostly Bitcoiners. I would think like Bitcoin magazine is like... I I actually, I mean, well, yeah, I I think it's probably, I would guess, 60%, 70%, 80% Bitcoiners. But I think like the Bitcoin conference, so I had a programming for Bitcoin 2022, and that was something that I thought about a lot, right? The um, There are a lot of different factors at play there, right? There's, uh, you know... There's the, the, the sponsored content, there's sponsors, there's the, uh, the people that are on the business side of Bitcoin uh, who are only interested in kind of the regulatory aspects, the legal aspects, uh, you know, the, the business side of Bitcoin. There's people, there was the open source stage, you know, people who are like, I don't give a shit about any of that stuff. Like, I want to know the raw technical information. And so I think you're right. I mean, finding that balance and trying to like thread that needle is 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 really challenging. I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is an ongoing challenge. I think one of the reasons that Oslo is so high signal is because it's, you know, Alex Gladstein has done such an amazing job of bringing Bitcoin um, into the work that the Human Rights Foundation is already doing, right? Because there's this mission that they have. And instead of it being about like Bitcoin is the coolest thing ever, which of course we all think it is, it's like here is a problem that Bitcoin solves in a unique way that nothing else is capable of doing. Here is the problem that these people have. Bitcoin is a solution to this problem. I think that's a really, really powerful way to approach Bitcoin. And I think approaching Bitcoin from like using it to solve problems and and 
bringing it to people who have existing problems, identifying those problems, identifying the ways that Bitcoin can uniquely solve those problems is so powerful. And I, I really applaud the work that Gladstein has done in that regard. Yeah, um, he's, he's amazing. And I think uh, like, it's one of those things where it's like almost like, it's almost like the problem that Bitcoin is sol solving there is like morally superior to other problems it solves. Like, you know, making people rich. A lot of people hate money. Like, have you guys seen that Mike Still guy um, who makes mm -hmm. the videos? He goes around the UK and he asks people if he, like, if, if they've heard of Bitcoin and like offers to give them Bitcoin. The, and there's one of like, there's a compilation of like the worst reactions or like, and, and, and it's like a lot of people who are like saying, I hate money or like money's evil or money gives me the GP creepies and like they associate Bitcoin. You know, it's like these anti-capitalistic, rich, powerful people oh, are, are evil and all that stuff, right? It's so, so sad. Oh, sorry, go ahead. It, it, yeah, no, I, what I was going to say is like, but when it's like, oh, you're helping uh, people in Africa escape persecution from their government and like save their family's wealth and transfer it as they, as they, as they escape from tyranny. Like nobody's going to be like, yeah, but it uses too much energy in it. Like there's no, that you can't argue with that use case and like still diss Bitcoin or say, or not agree. Well, that sounds like a good thing, but with almost everything else, it, it, it seems like the, uh, the sort of the normie has this like negative notion of, or, or, or it's e the, the other use cases are sort of easy to dismiss as like for moral re or other reasons. Absolutely. I, I think that's one of the reasons it's, you're right. It's so powerful because I think I'm, I'm just still reflecting on the statement you made, which I completely agree with that so many people, especially like, you know, people that identify as millennials or I, I don't even know what the fucking generations are called, but like, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm technically, I'm tech, I'm technically not a millennial cause I'm too old for that shit. I'm an 80 year old man. Uh, but you know, the, the generation that went through 2000 financial crash and then the, uh, you know, the great financial crisis and then fucking COVID and then all the, you know, and all this shit, it's like so many people ha who are in the workforce now, who are able-bodied, who are, who are able-minded, uh, have this such a negative view. They have these such negative associations with the idea of like, quote unquote money or quote unquote capitalism. And it, it, it like those experiences have profoundly warped so many people's worldviews in a really, really like honestly a tragic way it'd be like if yeah. if we all had to leave the earth and we lived in this decentralized collection of little space stations uh where we could dock and transact whatever the fuck um and there was a a huge contingent of people that were like air is you know is terrible like it's all about just collecting more oxygen so that the oxygen rich can can shit on the oxygen poor and it's like no, 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 like oxygen is not the bad thing here. Oxygen is what you need in order to survive. It's a, it's a, it is a requirement. We, and I, I feel, I think, I think of Bitcoin in the same way. It's like being able to transact in value is an absolutely essential part of being a human being. And I, I love what you said about the, of, of levering into people's, sorry, my fucking wizard robe is like falling apart right now and it looks ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I just feel like tying into that 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 desire to help other human beings is really powerful because when you frame it that way, it's it's impossible to kind of deny. Yeah, I still I still having said all of that, like I still think the most powerful uh, orange pilling devices number go up. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, if people uh, people FOMO in on the bull markets, if they owned a little bit of Bitcoin before, 
that's what sort of like brings their attention to it. For uh, sure. Yeah. Like I have a friend, he bought Bitcoin. I was like, you're the top six because he was the top signal for me. Like you bought Bitcoin. It's the top. <laughs> like a normie that. friend. But that's, that's the beauty of it, right? I mean, there's so many, um, there are so many different, Bitcoin is uh, an incredibly multifaceted thing. And I think everybody comes to Bitcoin in their own way, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the Bitcoin is freedom, or if it's, you know, for me, I, I came into Bitcoin around inflation, right? And that was the thing that I was like super obsessed with. And, you know, I grew up in a, in a household that uh, was focused on, you know, like uh, my father was a gold bug. He was a precious metals trader. He was part of like, you know, he, he broke the, the Bunker Hunt brothers and, or he was part of the group that did. And you know, this, when they tried to corner the silver market. And so I grew up in this household where it was like, you know, fiat dollars are bullshit. The only thing that matters is what you can hold in your fucking hand. And of course, like that was, you know, absolutely not true. Gold is fucking terrible store of value over time, but, or at least in the modern age, but um, everybody comes to it in their own way. And I think uh, it goes back to just solving the problems that people have in the moment. So you're right. Number go up is a huge and extremely compelling part of how a lot of people get into Bitcoin. You know, what is it? It's like, you know, you come for the number, grow up, stay for the freedom technology. And I think everybody comes to it in their own way. Yeah. Or come for the greed, stay for the revolution. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's the better way of saying right, it. Right. Right. But yeah. yeah. But what else? I think what else? I, oh, God. Well, that was definitely, I mean, that was definitely my case. Like I bought some Bitcoin as an investment because I wanted to make some more what I thought was money, but now I know it's fiat. Uh, and it was, it, but it was, it was having that Bitcoin that made me pay some attention to it eventually uh, when I found the time. And then um, the thing that orange pilled me was Michael Saylor describing it as a monetary network of which you can own a, of which you can own a piece. He was, you know, how he does his analogy where it's like Facebook's a social network and Apple's a mobile phone network and OS network. And uh, Bitcoin is like a money, a monetary network and you can own a piece of the network by owning Bitcoin. And like, you know, money is the most in demand good in the entire world. Uh, and if you, so if you can own a piece of, of, the network that's going to become the money of the world, uh, then that's a pretty valuable thing to own. So that, that's what, yeah, that, that's, that's when it was like, wow. I watched, I also watched them like, and I watched an Andreas Antonopoulos and uh, Simon Dixon vid, uh, video where they like basically Andre, Andreas just like FUD busts some of the like biggest mainstream media FUD, you know, 51% attacks and double spends and all that stuff. Uh, so that was very helpful. And I had Robert Breedlove podcast with Preston Pish again about Bitcoin misconceptions. So those three things was like, wow, I'm, 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 I'm all in. I was literally like selling everything. I was in a hotel room in quarantine in November, December, early December, 2020, literally selling everything I could maxing out all my like bank transfer limits every day to move everything I had into Bitcoin. I, I know that feeling well. Yeah, yeah. I did a similar thing. Yeah, literally yeah. just like, what is around me? What do other people mistakenly value in dollars that I can convert yeah. into Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so God, what is it? Oh, go ahead. I was, I was just gonna quickly say, I so I orange-pilled, I, I talk to my mom about everything. Um, so obviously when I became obsessed with Bitcoin, I was I sort of like, by talking to her about it, I orange-pilled her. And she was trying to get approved on a, she was like, okay, I'm going to buy some. And she was trying to get approved on an exchange. 
and it took us it took them so long that the price went from 17k to 28k before she got approved and combined a brutal it was like that period in december january Fuck, yeah that was like crazy the crazy run-up yeah but she's wow. still she's still she's all in hodling when i uh when i went to orange my dad I like, you know, I, as I mentioned, my, my father was, you know, a precious metal trader, you know, numismatist, a gold bug. And uh, I was ready for this like really intense argument about like all the, the fundamentals and, and, you know, explaining what Bitcoin was and from a technical perspective. And I was like, all right. So I, we sat, you know, we sat down and I, I went, so there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. And those can be subdivided, but there will only ever be 21 million. That will never change. Or rather, it is very infeasible that will ever change. And he was like, I'm all in. And he wanted to convert like everything he had. He was like, all right, let's <laughs> fucking go. And I was like, dad, dad, no, 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 no. Look, look, you know, there's price fluctuations. Like, you know, you're not earning money anymore. Like, we got to be reasonable here. I mean, we got to figure out what percentage of your net worth you just want to ape in versus like DCA. And he was like, let's fucking go. <laughs> it was like 100% not what I was expecting. I was very proud of him. He was like, it's better than gold. Let's fucking go. That's awesome. That was it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. There's like... Bitcoin has all these little bits where like when you get, you can just understand one of its like key features and that's enough for you to like be mind blown. And then yep. as you discover more of them and you realize like it has all these things, it's like, wow. Yeah. And 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 those are the things that shit coins sacrifice on that people don't understand, right? Yes. Like, yes. It, it, you know, you know, okay. I don't know if you guys ever play like, you know, you play games where your character has attributes and it's like, you have a maximum of a hundred points and yes. you get to give it to like, you know, speed, agility, magic, whatever. And it's yep. like, you can't take some off magic and give it to it. Sorry, you can't give some more to agility without taking it from somewhere else. And that's how I look at Bitcoin and shit coins, except oh, I like that. they, right. They try to, shit coins try to say like, we, everything, everything is the same as Bitcoin, but we have higher agility. It's like, no, you don't, you, you have higher agility maybe, but you took some strength away or like you have higher magic, but you have lower speed or whatever it is. Like the points can only be distributed in a certain way. And to add to one side, you have to take from another. Yep. Yeah. It's like when you're developing software, I forget what the three are. It's like price, speed, functionality, and you can only maximize for two, but it's a triangle and you get to just basically, whenever you're talking about a feature, you know, you get to basically like, all right, like, do we want to do it fast, but it's going to cost three times as much. Do we want to do it well, but it's going to take, you know, uh, you know what I mean? You can just move things around. Yep. You just get to decide yep. where you're putting it. And you're absolutely right. That's a great analogy. Yeah. I mean, I used to be a real estate agent and I always said to my clients, like price, size and location pick two out of the three. Yeah, you can, exactly. I can get those for you. Like I can get you, I can get you the right price that you want to spend for the property you want, but it's not going to be where you want it. Or I can get you like the right size in the right location, but it's going to be way more expensive than you're willing to pay. Right. So it's, 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 yeah. The analogy, like you can use it in various different uh, fields, yep. but that's how I like to look at shit coins is like you're, you're sacrificing something to make a shitcoin do something else different. I wouldn't even say better than Bitcoin because like we're, then we're qualifying it. I would just say it's different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I completely agree. I mean, I think 
I mean, it's the it's the affinity scam thing. And if you move away from that, honestly, like I, I think a lot of people disagree with this. Like I wouldn't have such a problem with Ethereum and Vitalik Buterin if it was just an honest, uh, like explanation of what was going on if it was like no 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 this is a speculative thing it's like penny stocks back in the day and uh yeah like we're probably never going to ship ethereum 2.0 but like if you believe in that dream and you want to potentially be part of that thing understanding that there's like hundreds of thousands of people that are in line way before you are um fucking get on board it's just like a stock you know but it infuriates me when people present it as this fait accompli, like it was the world computer and then that broke. And it's like, now it's this thing and now it's ultrasound money. And then now we see like Vitalik, you know, getting ready to fucking, you know, rug pull everybody with his recent tweets around like, maybe this thing was not a reasonable expectation. So you guys remember, did you guys read Vitalik's uh, April Fool's blog post? I didn't read it, but it was like super long and it was like something to do with, it was like basically him as a joke, admitting that like Bitcoin maximalists are right. And like, he kind of wishes he was a Bitcoin maximalist. So um, Walker, my friend Walker from the crypto couple or the BTC couple, I don't know if you guys have seen their videos, his theory is that it's like a double troll. Vitalik did that thinking I'm trolling everyone pretending that I want to be a Bitcoin maximalist. But what he's actually trolling is that's how he really feels, uh, but has delivered it on April Fool. So people think he's just joking around. Oh man, I love that idea. Yeah, I mean, I, he can't be, he, you know, coming from where he's come from, he can't be very happy. And he said it in his tweets, right, in his, la in his last long tweet thread, like, he's not happy about a lot of the ways that Ethereum's developed and, the, like, what's going on with the ecosystem. And it, I feel you, like, it's infuri it's fraud. Like, it's, fr it's like yeah. someone has taken your stolen your identity and is pretending to be you. Wait, you're saying like, that's, how, that's how Vitalik feels? That's how, like, sh no, that's, sorry, that's... Uh, I'm saying it's the affinity scamming is infuriating. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm it's the equivalent. Feel, yeah. yeah, it's the equivalent of like if somebody stole your identity and was going around pretending they were you when they're not you. This is what shit coins do with Bitcoin, right? Like they pretend they're like Bitcoin, but X, Y, Z better. And it's complete bullshit. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, and like you said, like they just change a narrative. Like, you know, world supercomputer, ultrasound money. Like look at Luna. Luna, it's like, it's all about USDT. Like, Literally, literally, he said, the failure of USDT will be equivalent to the failure of crypto itself. And two weeks later, he's yeah. like, Luna is bigger than USDT. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I can't, like, how mentally ill do you have to be to, like, follow that guy on? And, and, like, it's a cult of personality thing, right? I guess, like, we've seen cults and, like, people follow people to, to commit suicide by drinking poison uh so we can't be surprised that they'll follow someone on the promise of making a buck i want to throw an idea that got presented to us by our very own brandon green but this idea that vitalik could eventually actually make a i won't call it triumphant but a return to bitcoin and working focused his work solely focused on bitcoin do you think that is a feasibility a likelihood or Will he just continue to try to move the goalpost to eventually find where Ethereum fits in the cosmos of the future? That's a good question. I think right now he's probably too scarred by uh, Bitcoin maximalists. And uh, he's like quite, I guess, like he's very aware of Bitcoin maximalism. 
like what I think what most people, all these people that say like Bitcoin maximalism is bad and it's like scaring people away from Bitcoin and all this stuff. Like most of the world has no idea what a Bitcoin maximalist is. Most people that own Bitcoin have no idea what a Bitcoin maximalist is. Like, so I think that whole notion is, is false, but Vitalik himself, I think is so deep in the weeds that he's, he's one of those like Bitcoin maximalism is bad for Bitcoin. I'm not sure he would ever come back whilst he still felt that there was like a strong presence of Bitcoin maximalists that are like, you know, that, that represent Bitcoin. But I guess as we get wider and wider adoption, like Bitcoin is for everyone. We're going to have all sorts of different people uh, holding, it's like dollars, right? You don't have like dollars are for this kind of person, like liberty. No dollars. Everyone uses dollars. So I think eventually everyone will use Bitcoin and, uh, what, yeah, when when I guess it's not in his mind as represented by maximalists, he could come back, especially depending on what happens with Ethereum. Um, I think this whole staking situation is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, with uh, with like Lido almost having, well, like basically racing towards having over 50% of staked uh, ETH 2.0. Uh, like the, the incentives Wait, can of you, staking. Can you define Lido for the audience? Oh yeah. So Lido is a, uh, I, I guess you could like equate it to, uh, what a mining pool is. So to, uh, to stake on ETH 2.0 to, to basically to be able to do the equivalent of mining on Ethereum 2.0, you have to have at least 32 ETH, right? Um, so for those people that don't have 32 ETH, uh, to become a validator, you have to have 32 ETH. So for those people that don't have 32 ETH, you can pool your ETH with other people uh, so that in total you have over 32 ETH and then you can become a validating node. And Lido is a, basically a one of these nodes, but it has, I think it has something like 35% of all the staked ETH 2.0 right now. Because um, for those that remember, the second biggest pool lost their keys. So that, well, the custodian of the second biggest pool of ETH 2.0 lost their keys. And so all that ETH is gone. Uh, I think it's called Stakehound. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and, and what Lido does is because once you, right now, if you stake your ETH in ETH 2.0, you can't get it out until the merge happens. So never. Uh, and, but what Lido does is they give you a, a token that represents your staked ETH, which you can use to then go and trade in, in DinoFi markets. Essentially, like you know, you're locking up your ETH, and then they're just doubling the circul the, the 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 number of ETH by giving you this one to one token back. It's like it, you know, yeah, it, it's like it's, it's like a time deposit. It's like if I it's like if I went to the bank, right? And I, when I do a time deposit at the bank, my money's locked up at the bank for six months. But imagine that the bank you lock your money up at the bank, and then the bank gives you the equivalent money back that yeah, you could exactly. just use. That's yeah. literally what like. Like this Lido stuff is right. Yep, yep. Normally, normally the bank is like ho they're holding your, you know, the bank is doing stuff with your money. They're lending it out or whatever. And when it's time to pay you back, they, uh, you know, grab it from some other account and give you your money back. But in here, it's like God knows what Lido is doing with the money. I'm assuming it's just like held in some wallet or whatever. But then you're getting the money back to be able to still use it. Yeah, that's. <laughs> it's such horseshit. It's. Like the whole idea of having to stake your shit was that you were like buying into this thing, yeah. which of course we now know it was very clear from the beginning was never going to happen, right? 
and so this idea of Lido is just an acknowledgement that like, oh shit, like this thing is fucked. And basically it's like they're, they created this, uh, a way to, as you said, still be able to transact in the existing system, uh, which, of course, as you said, basically just doubles the amount that's, that's available, which fucks up the markets and completely distorts the <laughs> what's the, the, the signal that was originally intended to be sent by committing to, you know, this fantasy ET Plano. Yeah, and I mean, what happens, like, you know, with Stake, I don't know if Stakehound had the equivalent, like, you know, Stakehound ETH that was released to you when you stake with them, but, like, when you lose that ETH, the Stakehound ETH also becomes essentially worthless because you can't you're not going to get the eth you staked back at the end because it's gone because you lost the keys and so now there's like a double loss you know you thought i have this like stake hound eth that's worth x and then i have my eth eth staked which is also worth x so i like two i went i go from 2x to zero yep yeah and i think one thing that i that i i feel like is important to point out here is that the reason these systems continue to exist is because they are not designed to function as sound money. They are not designed to solve the same very important problem that Bitcoin solves. They are designed to allow VCs and investors to play the same fiat games that they do in the traditional financial markets, but wrapped in the fake thin veneer of blockchain or cryptocurrency in the same way that you know the dentacoin was uh, and is just this running joke it's the joke that keeps telling itself it still exists by the way uh, which was like we're gonna put dentists on the blockchain it's like why the fuck would you ever need to do that blockchains are good at one thing and one thing i don't want to say only but primarily uh and almost everything else should just be in a fucking sql database but yep. the reason that that lie continues to be propagated is because it allows people to pull in investment money it allows investors who are holding these currencies that are ultimately being inflated away to zero um you, know, you have to put that money somewhere and so investors are just desperate to create systems that allow them to rug pull uh people and increase their own value and they're just totally separate things they're just not even on the same spectrum to repeat something you said earlier but <laughs> no, I was gonna say like talking for so long about the same thing over and over again. So I just figured you were done, but keep going. You know what? Fuck you, Q. <laughs> no, I just think like people love to talk about like when are when are shit coins gonna go to zero, and I don't think they ever will because whether yeah. it's they're, they're, it's just it's a grift that will continue to exist as long as the incentives are there. That's my point. So yeah, this was a really interesting. Like I am a fan. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm a fan of the All In podcast, and I've been listening to some of their episodes from the conference that they actually put together. I highly recommend people listen at least to the, the episode with Tim Urban, but more specifically just like when Tim Urban is talking about high rung versus low rung politics on a global scale. I thought that was a fan, uh, fascinating and really well done analysis on the way I think our society looks at issues. But there's like a little tidbit at the very, very end where they have Keith Raboy come onto the stage and they have like a little bit of a panel with Tim Urban and a few other of these big, very influential VC type investors. And they more or less go on a little bit of a tangent, admitting that the reason you see 
a focus and investment on things like altcoins and shitcoins is because there is an opportunity to make money that's no longer there with the likes of Bitcoin. And then they start kind of breaking down the liquidity cycle of something like a an altcoin versus just like the liquidity of actually liquidating shares of a stock if you invest like in a traditional VC vehicle. And they kind of talk about how you can liquidate these this token essentially long before this project reaches its full potential of whatever it's pitched as versus in an actual like traditional stock VC fund, you can't liquidate because, oh, like, like we're getting overvalued at this point. Like let's liquidate to retail. No, you can only liquidate to other in investors at a high cost basis. And that I think keeps in the VC vehicle the liquidation, it's much more difficult. And you can get away with, I think, having a founder, having a company that maybe has not yet accomplished everything it wants to accomplish while still increasing the value of the company itself. That is more feasible because you can't dump onto retail. You can dump onto your fellow very well-off, very wealthy individuals who have also invested based on the rules and criteria in place now versus there's not, none of that and so if the VCs all of a sudden are like, yo, we're, we're Solana billionaires, the way David Sachs one day woke up and realized, and he was like, well, shit, hey, Tremoth, you want to you wanna buy like $10 million worth of Solana off me? Hey, guys, like, I need to liquidate. Like, do you guys want $100 million worth of Solana? Like, I'll sell it to you for 50. I just, I want to liquidate right now while it's worth this much. And yet Solana never reached its potential. So, or never accomplished nearly as much as it said and claimed it was going to. And then in turn is shut down multiple times. And yet David Sachs looks like a fucking genius having invested early, having pre-mined all of his tokens, and then having liquidated it practically at the top. Almost as if yep. he knew this was the top. I mean, these guys have been through various cycles, so I think they can identify, they're, they're better at identifying a frothy market. And I don't think they're as, they're as emotional. I think for a lot of people, like, they're going all in hoping like this is my one shot to like change my life or make some uh, some amount of money that I've never had before. He's already super rich. He doesn't need more money. So he's like, you know, I could sell this and like, you know, buy a second private jet or, I, you know, I'm already living a pretty good life or whatever. You know, he, he And he's not doing like the uh, the lunatic, like, you know, buy at 60K hot, like go in it at 60, regal mortgage your house, uh, hope because you think it's going to go to 250K. Uh and then, you know, you're kind of wrecked when it goes to 30, um, which I, you know, I bet it's happened to, to quite a few people. Like he can, he, well, first of all, he would never do that, but it, he could, he could do that and be fine. And he's also like, this isn't a life life. This isn't a game changer for me. So it's like, oh, it's pretty good price. Now I'll, I'll sell it. But the, but the, so going back to VCs and like, and, and shit coins, you can't IPO a company. Well, in 99.9% in .9 of cases, you can't IPO a company unless you have a business with revenues and operation and you're delivering a good or service, right? But not, the opposite is true for shitcoins. 99.99999% of shitcoins don't do anything. They basically IPO without doing anything, which is the complete opposite to companies. And the, the, it's the, yeah, they're always... 
like the incentives are so messed up because the people the the people working on the shit coins get rich before they've achieved anything. So like a massive incentive, which is you know financial or economic, goes away pretty early on on working on whatever problem they're trying to solve. You know whatever problem like these shitcoin founders are trying to solve with their blockchain and their shitcoin, um, which I think is like they're they're going down the wrong path. They're they're trying to solve a problem that blockchain doesn't solve or decentralization doesn't solve and they're not even a blockchain or decent well sorry they're not even a decentralized blockchain uh in which case what's the point of a blockchain but they do this because like you know your average person just hears that and like they get like a nice marketing brochure and some nice promises of like harder better faster stronger and they put their money in because they're hoping to get rich they're hoping to basically recreate the performance of bitcoin and the vcs know that if they come in to a project that's well marketed before it goes to the public, uh, they can buy tokens at cents and then announce they've owned tokens. And because of their reputation, the price skyrockets and retail runs in because, you know, if Suzu's bought Luna, it must be a good token to buy. I mean, the VC game is literally just in, in crypto. The crypto VC game is like build a reputation and then all you have to do is like founders will come to you looking for to sell you their tokens before they launch you buy them at cents on the dollar and then you associate your name you say you've uh, you own you've invested you know the token launches it's in you know investors are alameda research and jump crypto and blah 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 and then you dump on retail you're not wrong i don't disagree with anything that you've said it i think goes back to that human psychology of like this is my one chance at making a bunch of money and like never having to work again but i think for all of us here i don't think a single one of us got into bitcoin and like got into it because oh i understand money on such a deep level and bitcoin is the best money it's we found bitcoin through one avenue or the other and as we explored deeper and deeper we educated ourselves about what money actually is and how in turn bitcoin is the best version of money and once you have that journey once you really go through middle earth and like see what money really is and how like the nine rings that the men made like that's just bullshit and like the ring that sauron made is just like this like promise of something that's never really going to happen nor should it and like in actuality it's just being a good person doing the right things like stacking sats humbly and like helping your fellow man and community that I think that journey of understanding what money is gets people like all of it, like gets me out of shit coinery and gets me more focused on Bitcoin beyond just the idea of an investment vehicle. Like I, like I literally started stacking sats as like a, Hey, I need to allocate 10% of my portfolio to this. And I was just making sure it lined up like that which only add would never sell. And it wasn't until like we're locked up in COVID and I have more time than ever before because not only am I locked up, but I'm unemployed. So like I got the chance to go down that rabbit hole. Like to me, that is always, I think, a very easy journey to kind of understand, oh, you like Bitcoin, but you have all these shit coins. Okay, you don't really know what money is yet, but you will, you eventually will. And it's it's just a matter of, unfortunately maybe a hard lesson having to be learned maybe you have to lose 
the Luna stack that you have so that you can, like I had, I had two friends, one very good friend from college and one whose wedding I'm going to go to see this weekend. And both of them would text me nonstop when Doquan and Luna started buying Bitcoin. And the running joke was like, dude, like you might as well, like if you're in Bitcoin, like you might as well like buy some Luna. Like why wouldn't you? I was like, cause this doesn't make sense to me. Like this just doesn't, in my head, the way I understand how money stocks and like price action works, this, there's no such thing as arbitrage. Like someone has to lose money for you to make money. So that it never clicked in my head and I'm grateful for it. And then the text that I got after the unwind, like one of my friends from college was point blank. He's like, I'm a Bitcoin maxi. Like, fuck shit coins, fuck all of this. Like, it's a fucking scam and I got duped and I'm never going to fall for it again. I'm like, I'm sorry you had to learn the lesson this way, but like, I'm glad it's over and like now the focus is here. Yep. Well, I guess like the closest, um, the, um, the people who are probably the easiest to convert to Bitcoin maximalists are shit coiners rather than no, no coiners because I think they have a certain level of some sense of what this whole, I don't want to say crypto, crypto thing is all about. And once they get burnt shitcoining, they come to Bitcoin. Uh, whereas I think for like a normal, and I guess like what you call a no coiner, uh, to get them to understand enough to be able to assess and, and, and like really grasp Bitcoin, that's a, like a very, very, uh, hard thing to do. I think there's just so much information. They so many different things they have to understand that your average person like just probably thinks. I think they can, but they think they can't, so they won't ever try. Yeah, they they've already crossed over the idea of fiat is the enemy, and it's just now a matter of helping them see it the right way. Presenting a question that fine you guys can paint me as an empathizer in this moment and this moment only i have a thesis that because there is enough in my in my genuine belief of the market cap that let's just estimate at 600 billion dollars for bitcoin right now i would very safely estimate at least one third if not up to approaching 50 percent of that is actually held by Wall Street, big money. And big money doesn't like to lose their money. And I have a hard time believing Bitcoin will ever go to zero as a result because these big this big money that's involved will just do what they need to do to keep Bitcoin having value. That's not to say Bitcoin couldn't crash all the way to three to $1,000, fine. I will leave that as a possibility Based on that thesis, I'm curious of your thoughts on the idea that there's a lot of businesses and there's a lot of technology and a lot of money that has been invested, not directly in Ethereum, but on top of Ethereum. And I'm curious if you think based on that, that that alone can almost help Ethereum operate like a zombie company and it will just be dragged along because there's so much using the network for right now at least. I mean, definitely, it, it could become sort of like a, you know, it could become fiat itself if enough, like, powerful, influential people have capital invested or held in Ethereum. But I was going to say on that front about Bitcoin, 
is I think it's, I think without the right mind, without those people having the right mindset, it's actually a danger to Bitcoin to have a lot of the world's wealth tied up in it. I was, because I tweeted about this yesterday or the day before. It's like, you know, everyone's clamoring for these uh, spot Bitcoin ETFs, right? Like how many, how much Bitcoin could eventually flow into the custody of these spot Bitcoin ETFs, right? And then let's say that something happens to one or how a custodian that holds like several million Bitcoin um, on behalf of one or more of these ETFs and those Bitcoin are lost forever. And let's, you know, let's say like Bitcoin's at a million dollars per coin. Like we could be talking about like literally like depression cause, causing catastrophic wealth destruction. What do you think those people are going to do uh, if that happens? They're going to try and like, oh, let's just replace those Bitcoin or let's like, there's going to be some fork, some change, some attempted change to Bitcoin if that happens. The same with like, it's the same with Ethereum, right? Ethereum, catastrophic DAO hack. What do they do? They change Ethereum. Like if, let's say, let's say like there's a single custodian that holds 4 million coins, right? And a coin is a million bucks. Let's say this is like 10 years from now and they, they lose their keys or there's something happens to that Bitcoin. There is going to be like some attempted bailout. Like, you know, people are, you know, people who are like 65, they just lost their entire pension or like people have lost their entire life savings. There's going to be political, social pressure from your average citizen to the government to do something about the loss. And like right now, the only way that like the government knows what to do about losses is print more money, right? Literally create more money out of thin air, give it to people so that they feel like they haven't suffered that loss, even though they still have suffered it through debasement of the currency. I can see a, I could just see a situation where like, if the majority of, if a lot of people who hold Bitcoin lose a substantial amount of Bitcoin, they, their economic incentive is to change the protocol. At least their perceived economic incentive is to change the protocol, right? Whether that's actually like creating this, recreating the wealth that has just been destroyed or not is a different story. You're not wrong. There's, Jeff Booth is the one who I think explains it so much better of, I mean, I'm sure there have been plenty of other people, but he's the one that comes to mind. But like the idea that there's 21 million Bitcoin and that's all there will ever be, there's like an asterisk to that where the network can come to a consensus and say, actually we want to issue a million more Bitcoin. Like that is actually a possibility that sometimes we mm. gloss over. Oh yeah. And, and to your point, like this is why I always bring up like my fear of having too much hash rate concentrated in any one jurisdiction because all it takes is one leader to turn around and say every single node miner or exchange that operates in my jurisdiction is now under my purview and control and it can start to get i think a little I get that. I get that. But it's very, it's very different in practice. It's very difficult to enforce that. Right. But the loss of keys is something that could like, I, I know, you know, there's like 50 billion precautions. These 
custodians are taking and God knows what multi-sig setups they have. But obviously like with more complexity comes more uh, risk of things that can go wrong. Uh, like again, like we're trading off, like when you have a single SIG, it's very simple, but if you lose that, you lose everything. When you have a multi-SIG, like sure, you know, you don't have the risk of losing the one key and losing all your Bitcoin, but there's all these other risks of complexity and who do you give the keys to and where they held, blah, 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 blah. But I just think in terms of like a, a, a single point of failure for Bitcoin, like a jurisdiction, like, you know, even if there's 50% of the hash rate is in the US, I could still see it being very difficult for the government to enforce any sort of control over the hash rate. Just like how like, you know, cocaine is illegal, but you know, go out on a night out, like there's that, like at least half the people are doing coke and it's illegal. I, I get what you're saying, but there is precedent for this. Like there is precedent that the US government turned around and said like, everyone needs to turn over their gold for national security. And like people, people don't know better. It go like, I, this, we're coming up. I to think miners, I would say miners do know better. Miners do. Like and, miners are people who have gone so far that the rabbit hole that they're mining are pretty based and they would figure out a way to not hand it over. Fair. I, I want to, this, this is the last question I do want to ask you, but and it, it, it goes off of, I think what we're talking about right now, the 80, 20 principle. And I have not yet found anyone who gives, who has given me an answer that I've found acceptable personally, but this idea that everyone needs to understand every aspect of Bitcoin or as much about Bitcoin as possible. I personally don't buy into that. Like most, a majority of people don't know what happens when you put your car in the ignition and turn it. Most people don't know what's happening actually when you flip the light switch in your room or what actually happened when you logged on to whatever social media platform you logged on to. So my question is at what point within the Bitcoin ecosystem do we have to move on from the idea that everyone needs to know and understand this versus, hey, we just need everyone using it and we need to make the use so easy and simplified that you don't need this deep nuanced understanding. Or is that a dangerous slippery slope that just returns us to a fiat cycle? Yeah, I mean, there's like, there's this notion that like being self-sovereign is difficult and requires like hard work and it's not like, the fiat system where you can like sort of not really understand anything and 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 get by i don't think that you need to understand like just like how you said you can drive a car without understanding how a car works like basically the whole the whole operation of a car has been abstracted to like pressing a couple of pedals and turning a wheel and you're making the car work without understanding how it works two or three levels down from what you're doing, but, but you know how to turn the wheel and you know how to push the gas and the brake and change gear. I think, yeah, it's the same for Bitcoin. You just need to know enough to use it. Uh, you don't have to like be the person working on the protocol or making a wallet or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I don't change the oil to my car. Like I don't do, and you know, I don't, I build my, I don't build my own microchips. Because you can take this self-sovereign thing like to such a deep level. Like, am I gonna like go and chop down wood and build my own log cabin and then like wire my own electricity and then like you know you you there's there's a reason why we there's specialization of labor and why we trade goods and services because we can't we're better off individually and as a society doing that specializing in a few things and becoming really good at those and then doing those scaling those to provide that good or service to the wider uh, population as opposed to like 
having to be a sort of jack of all trades to the extreme. Um, but yeah, I don't, don't think that for wide for mass adoption, people need to understand Bitcoin to a super, super deep level. Was that Appreciate your question? It. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was. Yeah, um, I don't think so. We have time for one more. Who would win in a wizard's duel between you and Dumbledore? I think I would win. Yeah. I mean, I finish. I mean, I I uh I finished the end of my set of movies alive unlike some people. Oh Whoa. shit, dog. It's cold. I agree with you, but by the way. I sailed off to the Caribbean, didn't no, not I? Only... Like I got in a boat with like that really fit elf bird and uh, not only that, and stuff. you fucking fell into like the fire at the center of the earth with the Balrog, and then you resurrected your own ass, came back oh, to life. No, he did and not resurrect his himself. Pete. You say potato, right, you, you, I say Bitcoin. Dude, shut the fuck up. No, Here I will not let the slandering or misinformation of how Lord of the Rings works happens. Gandalf stayed true to what his journey in Middle Earth was, and so he was brought back by the power that put all of the wizards in middle earth and it gave him more powers and made him the most powerful wizard when he res when that power resurrected him like i said it is not tomatoes tomatoes i will fight you to the death uh -huh. i actually meant to put like all of my lord of the rings books behind me and i realized i forgot so i apologize for offending you getting off the white getting off the orange look all i'm gonna say is among the three of us who is still wearing their wizard robes in full regalia I'm not wearing a shirt underneath this. I got nothing. Yeah, no. You got you, your you, uh, your robe only. Bitcoin Gandalf, it has been a pleasure. Uh, how can people find you? What do you want to promote with the last few minutes we have left to us in this conversation? Yes, I, I think the the easiest single place is just uh, look me up on Twitter. I'm at BTC Gandalf. And then I just started a few weeks ago, I started a Twitter community called Bitcoin Software. I think it's Bitcoin Software Developers. There's like almost 500 people in there, people learning to program, people who are already programmers, people who are programmers not working on Bitcoin, and people who are programmers working on Bitcoin, just like talking about programming stuff and learning and working on Bitcoin stuff. So if you're interested in learning more about, you don't have to be a programmer either to join. Uh, it's just even if you're curious about programming, you think it sounds cool, join up and there'll be something for you in there. That's what I would push. Uh, if you're a miner, check out Brains. So I'm wearing, am I wearing the sticks? I'm wearing the stickers. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> and can wait, actually, before you jump off, uh, yeah. give, a, give a quick description of what Brains is for our magical listeners. Uh, yeah, so Brains is a Bitcoin mining software company. So uh, we make Bitcoin mining software. Uh, two main products, uh, Slush Pool, which is a Bitcoin mining pool. It's the oldest Bitcoin mining pool. Uh, I believe that no mining pool will ever mine as many Bitcoin as we have for the remainder of the Bitcoin that's left because we were so early. We were, you know, we were stacking up those 50, uh, 50 BTC uh, rewards. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Brains OS Plus is firmware for Bitcoin miners. So basically... Uh, you install that instead of running at miner Bitmain uh, firmware or what's minus firmware, and you get more hash rate for the same amount of power consumption. So basically more sats. Yep. Increase the profit been, uh, margins. Yeah, exactly. You guys have been doing amazing stuff since way back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's me. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. This has been fun. Absolutely, man. All this right. is a great time. Next time we'll have to get Fiat Sauron and we'll have a full-blown wizard duel. 
Yeah, I'll hit him up. Let's do it. Dude, honestly, I'm very down. I'll find a, a Bitcoin Dumbledore. Buy a copy of the print mag. Use promo code FOMO. Get 10% off. Subscribe because the freedom issue is coming very, very soon. Stay humble. Stack sets. Do it. Adios. Bye, everyone. Oh, my God.